0: Welcome to Transportation Radio. Our guest today is Melinda McGrath. She's the Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Transportation. And today this is hopefully the first in a series of interviews that we're going to be doing with leaders of state DOTs around the country. Melinda, welcome to Transportation Radio. Thank you. I guess maybe the best place to start off for folks who aren't familiar with Mississippi DOT is to give us a little bit of an overview of Mississippi DOT, some of the things that you're involved with, if you would.
1: We're over, uh, highways and bridges, aeronautics, transit, ports, waterways, and rail. We have, uh, approximately 30,000 lane miles, which is about 11,000 centerline miles of roadway, about 5,800 bridges statewide. We support, uh, 2,600 rail miles and that includes five class one railroads 150 airports 69 public transit providers and 16 public ports Uh, of those 16 public ports two are actually owned directly by the state not the locals we have 32 divisions six districts of operation and approximately 3200 employees statewide one thing that makes Mississippi's governance unique is that we still operate under a three member elected commission, and what I mean by that is every four years when, like our governor is being reelected and our lieutenant governor attorney general, our three commissioners are also elected by the people in a general election. They represent three distinctive geographic regions of the state, being the southern, the central. Northern, and um, you know, I think uh, one thing that really makes that kind of neat, and it makes it work really well, is every citizen in the state knows that they have a direct political voice, as well as someone that they can go to if they see something the department doing that they do not like. Our commissioners are very accessible, and I'm very accessible. But what that does is it gives the people a voice to be their champion with our governor, our lieutenant governor, because they're also elected. And uh, that really creates a new accountability, and it also ensures that the money is spent in accordance with the law, but also to the greatest benefit of our citizens as well as the state.
0: I was doing a little bit of research on you in preparation for this interview, and I understand that construction is sort of in your blood going back to when you were a child.
1: Yes, starting out really young, my brother and I, we would, uh, we would go to work with my dad. And so we learned how to, uh, you know, prepare cost estimates, read plans, build walls, place concrete, um, at a very, very early age. Uh, we were, uh, very cheap labor.
0: I'm sure your dad appreciated that.
1: <laughs> it was fun, um, you know, and it, Made us very uh, comfortable working in that in- environment. Uh, my brother, he's actually a, a surgeon, but um, but he owns so many pieces of equipment, like a skid steer, a bulldozer, dump trucks, because he still loves to build and to construct. You know, there's something about once construction gets in your blood, just the excitement of seeing things built and then seeing the positive impacts that result from that. It just uh, it's just a real driving force.
0: When it comes to transportation, was that something that you had your eyes set on from a, a relatively young age when you went to college? Was that uh, a field that you intended to work in one day?
1: So uh, the way I chose this field is is I really loved music. I uh, I played a a trumpet as well as other brass. Instruments, I was very involved in the symphonies and bugle corps. But my uh, dad, he insisted upon music is great, it's, but that's a hobby. You have got to go to college and pick out a field that you like, but that you can earn a, a living at. And, um, you know, I had always been intrigued with bridges and overpasses and, you know, just how traffic flows, you know, what makes it flow without being interrupted how do you make it better and so uh, you know they just seem like a really good fit.
0: Now you started as the interim executive director for Mississippi DOT in 2011 and became the permanent executive director about a year afterward. How long have you been with Mississippi DOT before you took on the executive director position?
1: So I've been with MDOT about 26 or 27 years. I uh began as a bridge designer and then I uh, transferred into a project office and I became a project engineer over one office and then I became a area engineer over the six Gulf Coast counties and then uh, I transferred to Jackson and became the assistant, a chief engineer over field operations and then I became the chief engineer and then I became the director.
0: Mississippi is primarily a rural state. Are there special transportation challenges that Mississippi DOT faces being a rural state? Yes, absolutely.
1: Our state law dictates, which is very much in line with, I think, the way the federal government looks at things, is when you're considering spending transportation dollars, uh, you know, one of the first things you look at are the volumes of traffic trying to go down the number of lanes that are there. And that works well. I understand that volume over capacity should always be a consideration. But what that leaves out are rural states like us. Um, You know, our largest commodity is farming. And we export through our ports, through our rails, a lot of corn, a little cotton, and a little soybeans now because it's all really shifted to to the corn. And then we also export a lot of wood chips. And so what happens often is is that we have these rural highway routes or even um, county routes that have a lot of bridges, you know, because we're kind of at the bottom of the drainage basin for the, uh, you know, for the northern part of the country. It all kind of drains down towards the Gulf. And so... What happens is is we really have to consider commerce. So when we look at V over C, we also have to look at where are, are our, our largest farmers located? Where are they trying to get to, like to the ports or to a rail yard? Where are the cotton gins? And so often we replace bridges and, and we do roadway repairs that may not carry the most people, but it is vitally important to our farming background, which is what this state is we are an agricultural state you know because money is so limited uh, you know meaning that there's not enough funding to uh, to cover all of our needs we have to make that choice Uh, you know do we let the interstate for example that carries you know 100 120,000 cars a day go a few years longer even though we know that it's cracking it's rutting it's potholed so that we can replace that $85 million worth of structures on a two-lane route that carries, you know, the bulk of our commerce to the port. Those are definitely considerations that urban states really don't have to engage in. However, if we don't get our corn, if we don't get our potatoes and other things to market, then those urban states really, they don't get their commodities either.
0: Well, talking about agriculture, obviously, when you're talking agriculture, you're talking about soil, and that also plays into what Mississippi has to consider when it comes to road construction. I understand that there are primarily three different soils within the state of Mississippi, but one of those, Yazoo Clay, is especially troublesome. Why is that, and how do you overcome the difficulties that that may present?
1: Yazoo clay runs uh, pretty much through the center of our state and is probably a hundred plus miles wide, and it's highly expensive. So it will swell when it gets saturated four hundred times its size when it's just at normal moisture. What happened is uh, when the interstate system was being built in the early '60s through. Mississippi, we have a Interstate Twenty runs, and the Yazoo clay. No one really understood at that point how to deal with it. If you should leave it in place and just put a little dirt over it, or whatever. So, so a lot of what we're having to do now is to rehab the interstate because the the shrinking and the swelling is just is just so great. I mean, it will it'll increase, you know, within a few days if it's wet three hundred times, and then that makes your Semi trucks coming through with loads, it'll, it'll actually break their trailer. Um, you know, because they're bouncing so bad that it breaks the trailer, it causes wrecks. So we have to rehab that. But another thing that's occurring this year is we're in the middle of a drought. We're in the process right now of, of really assessing all the damage that has occurred due to the drought. And, you know, it's the normal things that you, you, you expect like slides on the shoulders of the road. But also what we're seeing are a lot of slides in the road. A lot of our highways were actually county takeovers, which means that there's very little right away. So we own the road and we own the ditch, but we really don't own much past even the back of the ditch. So there are trees on on private property that line most of our our roadways. Well, when we get in these drought Conditions, those trees are sucking every bit of the moisture out of the soil that's under the roadbed. So now what we're seeing is we're seeing roads that were just paved like a month or two ago that have huge cracks forming and some are even falling off six feet from the shoulder into the lane. And the bad part is there's really not a whole lot we can do for that. You know, what would make the Yazoo clay condition? Or even some of our other expansive clays better would be if we had enough right away to clear those trees back to get more of a buffer between the tree line and the road. But because, you know, probably 90% or more of our roadways have trees, I mean, there's just no way to correct that. That was something that we, we haven't seen in probably 30 years, a drought with the effect that we're seeing today on the road.
0: Turning our attention a bit now to technology, like many states, Mississippi is involved with a variety of intelligent transportation projects. Can you give me an overview of some of the notable ITS projects MDOT is involved with?
1: So we started out kind of small, and we constructed a traffic management center in the northern part of the state coming out of Memphis, the central part of the state here in Jackson. And then, um, then as you make your way to the coast about halfway between Jackson and Gulfport, we have a traffic management center in Hattiesburg, and then we have one on the Gulf Coast. So, obviously, the one on the Gulf Coast, Hattiesburg, really facilitates during uh, tropical depressions, hurricanes, storms. But it also gives alerts as to when there's, uh, you know, wrecks, traffic delays, congestion, And the other thing that we do not only along that corridor but also in the northern central part is we're trying to uh, interconnect all of our traffic signals and make them operate smartly to where they will talk to each other and adjust the timing as the traffic either goes up or down. And then all that information feeds into the traffic management center to where we're able to watch it and really maximize traffic flow. Another thing that we're working on is we interface these traffic management centers and all the cameras that we have statewide to put out messaging, you know, with Facebook, Twitter, m.traffic.com. And one example of technology that we're trying to bring on board before this winter is the ability to send out traffic alerts to users based off of zip codes when the the temperatures are approaching freezing and there's moisture present, because even though we typically do not get a lot of ice storms, but we'll generally get one or two a year, and depending on how cold it gets depends on how successful we are at treating with our salt brine solutions. Once it gets below, say, 18, 17 degrees, the brine and the salt, does not work. And so, uh, you know, we think it's very important that we get these messages out early to give people the opportunity to make plans to get off the road before it gets that cold. Now, one of the other problems we have is because we are a rural state, there are still many areas in our state that do not have internet, that doesn't have broadband, and that cell phones don't work. So then they have to rely off of a TV. Well, because these these areas are so rural, um, you know, they may not even get a Mississippi TV channel. You know, they may be getting it out of Arkansas, Memphis, Louisiana. And so often it becomes very difficult to reach out to all of our citizens. And so that's why our public affairs, they do a great job, and they try to use every available media source.
0: You touched on this a bit, but talking about social media, that is obviously one way to communicate, and Mississippi DOT has been doing a lot when it comes to social media. Can you build on that a little bit about what some of the uh, social media outreach is involved for MDOT?
1: We have an MDOTtraffic.com website, which averages about 45,000 page views a month. Our total app downloads are over 96,000 our 511 system came on board in uh 2014. The first year it it was in operation was a um ice storm and we received um uh, about 95,000 calls. So that worked. That worked really well. But by far our Facebook and Twitter accounts are the are the main avenue that users rely on.
0: Of course, with Mississippi being a Gulf Coast state, you also touched on the fact that tropical depressions, hurricanes, are an issue that MDOT has to concern itself with. With the two traffic management centers that are in the southern part of the state, what are some of the things that you've learned about traffic management through those TMCs when it comes to big storms hitting the state?
1: Our citizens have to be prepared because if it's a a uh, large storm, then that means that we're going to contraflow uh, Interstate 55 and Interstate 59. And that contraflow is primarily to bring the people out of the uh, lower Louisiana, New Orleans area to get them out of harm's way. So once that diversion starts, because there's so many people in that part of their state, those interstates as well as Interstate 10 become gridlocked. So what we have learned and what we strongly encourage, we hand out um, maps, hurricane maps, and we encourage our citizens to stay off of those routes, to use our two-lane routes because they do not seem to pick up the traffic like those four-lane routes do. So we use the uh, TMC to communicate with Louisiana State Police and then encourage them to make diversions in their
0: contra flows as well. One of the issues that the federal government and many state DOTs are dealing with are autonomous vehicles. Has Mississippi DOT had to deal with that yet? And if so, how are you dealing with that question?
1: Our state is really just in the beginning conversations. Um, You know, we have a uh, Toyota plant, we have a Nissan plant, we've had a lot of conversations about we need to change some of our laws to encourage research of of these vehicles and then we need to look at at existing laws as to what needs to be changed to allow the use of these autonomous vehicles in our state because whether we're addressing it across the street at the capitol or not those vehicles are already here um i met a, a man a few months ago that he had ordered a tesla fully automated vehicle because he's blind and the car is supposed to be delivered to him i think sometime next month and so and so he will be utilizing that car you know whether we have laws or not so we've got to go ahead and be proactive so we're really just at the beginning levels of all of that but there are a lot of conversations about it personally and from my perspective you know I think autonomous vehicles whether it's fully autonomous or it's vehicle to vehicle connections or lane departure technologies with the amount of distracted driving that we're seeing and the increase of fatalities with teenagers and the aging population, I think for right now, autonomous vehicles, vehicle connectivity is about our best solution at reducing those types of crashes and truly uh, working towards zero fatalities.
0: Well, you've been listening to Transportation Radio. Our guest today has been Melinda McGrath. She's the Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Transportation. Melinda, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you.